Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Welcome back, FemFam. Thank you always for listening. We are now four episodes in to our season seven. So thank you guys for sticking with us. Yeah, for over 70 episodes. Like that is crazy. (laughs) It was only yesterday. We were having tea, playing games. Yeah, I know, right? It's so crazy. (laughs) This, uh, yeah, this whole experience has really like been going so amazing for us and like, Mm -hmm. Just, I, I just love that we've been able to do it so long and stick with it. So thank you, Tessa, too, for being a great partner and to thank all you. of our guests. <laughs> Absolutely. And speaking of guests, we have someone else from across the pond. Tessa? Sure. So today we have Elliot Grove from Rain Dance. And listeners, if you remember, we did an IG live with him on on Rain Dance's IG um, a couple months ago. So now we're going to flip the tables and talk about Elliot. (laughs) So welcome, Elliot. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. Greetings from this very dull, damp, dirty, small island in the north. I mean, likewise, (laughs) that's where we are this morning. (laughs) It's just funny because we always hear like Englanders talk about, you know, like, oh, it's cold here. It's dirty here. It's this, it's that. Meanwhile, like all of us Americans are like, take me there. (laughs) I want to be there instead. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, we're having a smoggy morning here anyways. Like once, once the highways opened up here, we went back from being the, the freshest air of any city in the world to like back to smog town. So it ain't different. <laughs> it's not any different. Well, there's but, nothing happening in London. There's no planes. There's no train. Well, there are trains and subways uh-huh. and buses, but oh my God, it's quiet as anything here. It's like... Um, it's like New Year's Sunday morning at eight <laughs> o'clock at, in, in rush hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very strange. That's really funny. Well, we do have one exciting thing happening over there pretty soon, and that's the Rain Dance Film Festival, um, which is actually personally how I had first heard about Rain Dance when I was researching film festivals a couple of years ago, I think, for the first time. Um, so I think you had started the festival, what, in 93? Is that correct, Elliot? Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about like what, first of all, took you over to England to start Rain Dance. Um, I know you had started it really thinking like, you know, independent film is what it was going to be about um, and how it's kind of grown and everything since then. 
well, it's not that grand. I'm a farm boy from Southern Ontario. I ended up in London, first of all, in the <laughs> mid seventies, working at the BBC as a stagehand and some of the iconic shows like Monty Python and so on, oh, wow, got the gosh. film bug, moved back to <laughs> Toronto, um, was there for nine years. I'd gone to art school in Toronto and I was painting sets in Toronto, did that for nine years, came back in the mid eighties and fancied myself a property entrepreneur and was buying and renovating flats in the center of London, doing really, really well until 1991, the last big British recession. I lost mm. absolutely everything. And at that time, I was living in a country house outside London, one of the National Trust properties. So I had the big old house built a thousand years ago, beautiful place, mm -hmm. and the surrounding gardens, it was open to the public, and surrounding acreage was sheep. And the sheep farmer is an old guy. He died... <laughs> At the age of 106, he was so old. He was actually a barber in World War II. Wow. And he knew wow. I'd gone bust, and he saw me for a whole year walking around, moping around, feeling sorry for myself. One day he called me on it, and he said, you know what? No doctor in the world can help you as long as you're feeling sorry for yourself. So I said to him, well, what should I do? And he said, do what you love. And I remembered movies. The first time I saw a movie was when I was 16, because my parents didn't believe in going to the movies they said the the devil lived there mm. it was harvest season just outside toronto on the farm mm -hmm. a part broke down i'm the kid i get sent to the local village when i found out it was going to take three hours to get it repaired it wasn't worth going all the way home and coming back so right. i was 16 had a few coins in my pocket hot summer's day and i was wondering what the devil looked like and there it was <laughs> the house of the house of the devil just a few doors down from the house of the lord so I walked up and they were only charging, you know, 99 cents to see what the devil looked like back then. Yeah. Paid my money. I walked down like a tunnel into a room, a bit like church, you know, with chairs lining up That's facing true. the front. And I sat down, it was about two o'clock in the afternoon and a couple other people there. I noticed the fabric on the chairs was red. Ah, mm. the color of the devil, mm, I thought. The color of Guys, they turned the flipping lights off. I had no idea what a movie was. I just told never ever to go there. Oh my god! They turned the what lights do you think off. What's gonna happen? The curtains open, and the first face of the devil I saw at the most tender age of sixteen was Lassie comes home. Oh. And I cried like a baby at the end. I tried to put my hand on the screen to see if I could feel the texture. It was all gone. I was totally hooked. And this farmer saying, "Do what you love." I love movies, but I'd lost all my contacts. Mm -hmm. um, but I am Canadian, so I started bringing people over from LA to teach filmmaking. My intern the first nine months was a young 17-year-old by the name of Edgar Wright, <laughs> you may have heard of. Yeah. Uh, and when about a year or so later, I met another late teenager. At that time, he was studying English at the university in downtown here. Um, and that's because his parents were very middle class. And when he announced to them, when he was about 16 or 17, that he really wanted to be a filmmaker, they went, why do you want to do that? So he joined, he was studying English. So if his filmmaking dream didn't work out, he could at least get a job teaching high school English somewhere. Mm -hmm. He joined the film society because they had a cupboard full of free equipment. And in his last year of uni, oh, the, he then graduates, gets a really dumb job stacking shelves at Boots the Chemist, which is still here in Piccadilly. He would, on a Friday night, circle by the film sock, pick up the free equipment and use my office as a production base 
for nine long months, every weekend. <laughs> he shoot Saturday, Sunday, Monday. He'd give me back the key and went back to Boots. And he made a film for about five or $6,000 called The Following, which he remade 18 months later in Los Angeles called Memento. I'm talking about oh, Chris Nolan. Ah, yes! So I basically started the festival as a thought experiment. None of us knew anything. Mm-hmm. We'd never for three reasons, A, can you make a film with no money? Because we're all broke. Could you make a film without any film training? None of us have been to film school. Mm-hmm. And could you make a film without having any experience? All of us were basically doing it. Edgar's first film was a film called A Fistful of Fingers, which I helped him with, which he might release now that he's rich and famous. <laughs> and Chris Nolan, as you know, and many other people. So they started making films. And I didn't have any plan to start a festival. I decided to do it after these guys started making films. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I made every single mistake under the sun. In the third year, it was so bad. We had we were so broke. The second screen was a bed sheet in a basement <laughs> arts club just around the corner. Um, I never used to tell that story, but I think I can tell it now. Yeah. But it's kind of gets bigger every year. And of course, this year we're dealing with something called public health crises. Mm-hmm. Three words, which I have grown to disdain. <laughs> but I think like you, we have to learn to live with it. And yeah, it's, you know, it's really gives me a bit of satisfaction to see all the people pretty much there's many, many filmmakers have touched Raindance for the first time at some at the, the first point in their career. And that's always been our, our, if you like, our way of doing things. It's like the, um, what we say, discover, be discovered. So we mm-hmm. have both ends of the um, entry and the distribution chain that we try to manage. So yeah, here we are. I mean, that's so exciting, like, and inspiring because you guys started from nothing, you know, like you guys didn't know what you were doing to start the festival. And then not only did great filmmakers come out of those humble beginnings, but like Rain Dance is a big deal festival nowadays. Like it's, it might not be as large in scale as something like Cannes or whatever, but like you're a very well-known name. So, (laughs) you know, that's really exciting that it's grown that much and that so much, so many cool films and filmmakers have come out of that over the years. Well, it's about being persistent. It's also Mm -hmm. about not listening to anything. I was the local disruptor when I started all the industry here. (laughs) said, what the hell are you doing? Oh, this guy won't last. And I... (laughs) Fortunately, they're wrong, but they were very nearly <laughs> right on many occasions in the early years. Um, and we just keep going. We also have a film school with a lot of exciting MA, BA, and open, you know, evening and weekend classes. That's what's kept us going. Without that, I think I would have um, gone back to street sweeping or some similar <laughs> occupation. That is, I want to get into that as well. How did you go then from just doing the festival to developing the school? And because I mean, you guys have so many great things to offer. I mean, Carolina and I, I know we've yeah. been surprisingly busy this summer, but we're always on there checking like what classes are coming up. And there's yeah. a lot of great resources. Yeah, for sure. Especially like, again, like you, like you guys didn't go to film school. We didn't go to film school, and it's just amazing nowadays that there's even so much more out there for a film, a young filmmaker, or not even young, just a filmmaker to consume, to learn, and grow their craft. So yeah, like talk to us about that. Well, the the film training we have is is pretty unique. Well, first of all, we have this festival. So if you're good enough as a student, make a film, it can go in the festivals, which is 
Which is unique. There's no other film school in the world that I know of that has that. But the, yeah. the training that we do is, is unique, I suppose, in that we don't teach filmmaking. So if you, Tessa or Carolina, wanted to learn filmmaking, you would be sadly disappointed with the courses we <laughs> offer at Raindance because we don't teach filmmaking. We make filmmakers. And it's a very different way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. In the same way as if you wanted to learn to ride a bicycle, you wouldn't sit in a lecture theater with someone and say, put your foot on this pedal and your hand on this mm -hmm. handlebar. You'd actually teeter down the road and try to get the training wheels off as soon as possible. And that's kind of the philosophy we have. And also because I'm always trying to learn, we've never actually ever done a course unless I thought I wanted to do it or could do it. And <laughs> for better or worse, we're still here. We're still vertical <laughs> after all these decades. It's quite remarkable. Yeah. And listeners, just to give you kind of an idea, I mean, they've got courses on everything from like uh, budgeting and scheduling to contracts to um, like, oh, every category you can think of. I remember there were some that I was like, that's a really good idea to teach a class on that. You know, it's not something I would have like even thought to look up a class four, but it's so useful. Um, I know personally, I've learned pretty much everything I know about budgeting and scheduling from multiple rain dance classes that I've taken mm -hmm. on the subject. So yeah, they're really amazing classes. I highly suggest listeners that you check it out. And Elliot, if you want to explain a little bit to the listeners how like the membership works and some classes are free and kind of what you yeah, offer. Yeah, yeah, we do have a membership system that has three different tiers. There's the free one, which you get some free stuff. Uh, and every week we send to all of our members um, an email with tips and cool stuff, um, we think. It's stuff that me and the team, there are 14 of us working here in London now, and if any of us see something that we think would be interesting, we collect it together and, and put it out. Um, and then for £50, or roughly 60 some odd dollars, you can become a premium member and get 20% discount off all of our courses, and lots of free stuff. I mean, we do things, uh, once a month I do something called the career surgery. It's me and sometimes with a colleague, it's free to members. You can just come in and ask us stupid questions about what to do next and we can give stupid answers about what we think <laughs> you should do next. I love that. And then, yeah, something like the 99 minute film school that I do and my friend does uh, something called directing essentials. There's a few things like that. It's free, it's really, really worth. Plus, plus in the members area, there's over 50 lockdown sessions. We started doing over 50 different topics, everything from storyboarding to how to write your characters so they're picked up by social media using free hacks of using the same sort of stuff that Cambridge Analytica used. It's very fascinating, all that kind of stuff. And then of course, all of our courses. And then for a hundred quid, $130 roughly, uh, you get more mentorship. You can get me anytime you're on a project and so on. Uh, but, but hey, we're small. We're not that big. You're in London, whoever's listening, but especially you, Tessa and Carolina, please ring the doorbell and come in and we'll give you the tour. We've got two studios, three studios next door, one editing with the 10 editing suites and then two larger studios, one with the dance floor and mirrors because we have dancers here as well. And yeah, that we make movies just about every single day. Wow. I am like trying to go next year. So um, Elliot, I might be at your door and <laughs> that offer better still stand because I might want to 
bring out my leotard from back in my jazz days. There you go. <laughs> Do a little number. <laughs> Are you a podcaster like us? Vlogger? Interview conductor? Do you need a VO booth or ADR? Remote audio video professional recording? Ooh, Tessa, spill the tea. Well, the Network Studios in Culver City is a fully functional recording oasis with multiple rooms made to cater specifically to audio podcasts, video interviews, and voiceover, plus an experienced sound engineer with the ability to edit and master, all your needs will be covered. Audio engineer extraordinaire Mike Casentini has worked with several podcast heavy hitters and got us started from the ground up. He's the reason we sound so good. Plus, all of our in-studio guests have been very impressed. To find out more, visit www.thenetworkstudios.com and book your next recording session. COVID compliant and open for business. I just really love your story. What is it in you that kept you just keep going with this process, especially was it because you experienced such a great loss in, in your real estate that you're like, you know what, what do I have to lose? Like, I, I love this thing and this is what I need to stick true to. Um, just because, you know, we all are, we all, if we haven't, will experience like, you know, hurdles. So what is, what has worked for you to just keep persevering during that time? Oh, that's a tough question. Three things. I've got um, a partner and two children who were very young when I started. So it was always having to tr- figure out how to get food. Um uh, but basically, the, th- <laughs> the three things are number one, fear, you mm. know, because if you screw up and quit, people think you're a loser. That terrifies me. But the second, I guess the second uh, reason is I really enjoy what I do. And much of what I do is menial and repetitious, you know, but it's your own thing. So I enjoy it. And if it was work, I wouldn't be able to do it. And the third thing is meeting people like you, you two, Tessa and Carolina, saying the nice things that you've just said about me, that to me is worth more than money or anything else. And really important from you two launching your career, uh, more important than many of the many famous people I've had the pleasure of meeting over the years, where they say slap you on the back and so on. Somehow it's more meaningful to get it from the grassroots up. Mm-hmm. I, I totally hear that. That's like anytime we hear anything about some listener that we don't even personally know at all saying that they've heard our show and are inspired and, you know, that they just want to, you know, keep working on their craft. I think yeah. that is what, you know, you, it sounds like you live forward to do with your schooling too. Like just, mm-hmm. I love that you said that you don't, you won't, want to make a course that you wouldn't be excited about taking well that's how we feel about the guests we have on our show too like we want to be so excited like (laughs) Elliot we like send you that email and you're like oh yes it's just like (laughs) it brightens our day and so yeah I, I totally understand what you mean and um yeah, the, the thank you. We genuinely feel the same way. So oh, that's good. That's I love good. You that. see, that's that kind of energy. You can't you can't buy that. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. And, and right away I know I felt when I spoke to you on that Instagram live that you know I could share ideas with you, mm-hmm. I could share creative problems with you um freely without worrying about you saying, Ugh. You, you could say that it wouldn't bother me that you and you would feel free to say well that's 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 a loser but you know that, that I mean I think the creative industries uh, encourage that kind of collaboration mm-hmm. 
feedback, that sort of stuff is, is you don't get that working in mm -hmm. anywhere else. I, don't right. think. I mean, I feel like that's kind of going along with like the rain dance um, schooling and stuff too. It's the same idea of like, you know, you didn't go to film school and you know, I, you had said something earlier about like, you're only going to teach the things you can teach, you know, but it's like, you learn so much just doing it that yeah. you become an expert, even if you don't have yeah. like accolades to put, you know, behind your name. Like I've had this conversation with a few friends out here. I'm like, I've taken so many classes in this city. I feel like I could teach, but I also feel like, well, what, you know, I don't have like a specific degree for that or like you know I'm not famous like I have nothing to back that up with but that's really not what matters if you've got the knowledge and the drive and you're able to teach it you're able to you know be a good teacher like that's all that really matters and that's you know people just want to mm -hmm. learn from people that have learned to do those things themselves everyone can have a wealth of knowledge but not everyone's a teacher you know that's mm -hmm. another like mm -hmm. thing I think that is mm -hmm selective to a certain individual if they have that ability mm -hmm. you know so there's also that so I think you, you have to like ask yourself like do I have that in me too and I think um you like you sound like you again like choosing material that you would want to be excited about and how you demonstrate mm -hmm. it that makes a good teacher like that's when mm -hmm. I'm like that is someone who knows how to teach <laughs> you know they can speak the independent filmmaker language too and and the mm -hmm. business side like Tessa was talking about you know contracts and stuff that's a lot of times like you go to a performing arts college like I did and I wish I knew more about business type stuff, like knowing how to mm. read over a proper contract, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. Yeah, well, most that's the failure most people I meet. Uh, writers, directors, actors, whatever, they don't have any idea about the commercial side. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's, it's the film business. It's not the film art. And although there's the creative side, you need to be aware of the commercial side too. So... Oh, that I mean, we spend a lot of our time on social media trying to engage with people and, you know, that's not filmmaking, but it's communication mm -hmm. and it's also storytelling. And I think basically what we do at Raindance, we're storytellers and we assemble for the festival stories by other filmmakers from all over the world. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's storytelling. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the festival for our listeners because it's coming up. So if anybody's interested in um, attending the festival, attending, I say with quotes, I guess, because it's online this year mostly, <laughs> but um, or submitting for next year, um, just, yeah, a little more about what it what it is now and especially this year with things being so different and how that people can get involved. Well, it starts on Wednesday, the October 28th, just in a few days from when I'm speaking to you, and it finishes on the 7th of November. Uh, for people outside of the UK, um, you can't see, you can only see about five or six of the feature films because they're geo-blocked. Only UK residents can mm -hmm. see it just to protect the IP and the festival premiere status. Mm -hmm. But you could see all the shorts all the virtual reality, we probably have the biggest collection of Ooh. virtual reality or the best collection anywhere. Yeah. And more importantly, over 35 industry sessions. These are one hours on Zoom, which you can join live or they will be archived for you to come in and pick and see whenever. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to get a pass to everything, it's only... 15 pounds, which is what, $20, less than $20 oh, wow. for oh, yeah. all that stuff, which is super cheap. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, the films and filmmakers, the, they're all doing Q&As and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, it's exciting. I, I think too, as a, as a filmmaker, to be able to look at your colleagues' work at different festivals, including Raindance, of course, mm -hmm. is a good way to measure your own level to see how well you're progressing. And also a good way to, to form collaborative partnerships. Over the years at the festival, we've had many writers who've met producers, who've met directors, who've met actors at the festival. This year, we are doing six or seven online, we call them boozen and schmoozen, because, uh -huh. but there's sort of topic. <laughs> there's one for short filmmakers, one for documentaries and so on. Um, and, and even in this crazy, crazy world that we live in, uh, we're finding a lot of people connect as they connected when we were doing our Instagram live mm -hmm. all those weeks ago, yeah. as the listeners to your uh, podcast will listen, will, will make connections. You know, Absolutely. you need to be able to reach out. And we're slowly getting accustomed to this new normal <clears throat> of communicating with each other. A new normal, which I think is going to stay the way it is for quite some considerable time. It's yeah. not going away mm -mm. anytime soon, despite what your current president uh, <laughs> harps on about. We all um, know he's wrong anyway. <laughs> by the way, the optics of what's going on in America, not only the forest fires, but the politics is not very attractive from this side of the Atlantic. Oh, it's not for us sure either. We just had our debate last night and whew, let me tell you. <laughs> I watched a bit. They replayed that uh, in the morning. I watched a mm. good half hour of it uh, before I had to leave. But I was wow. writing a script. That's where my mind was. <laughs> I was shouting at my computer. So. I was texting, <laughs> testing my script notes. She was handling the debate for me. It was, this is how we team it up, y'all. <laughs> let's let's we'll take turns it. on that. We got to take turns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well no you're you're absolutely right it's um it's a weird world we are it's the new world right now that we've transitioned to and the like any great independent filmmaker you just have to adapt and make it mm -hmm. work for you and fortunately enough we do have such amazing technology and it's weird mm -hmm. because I definitely I'm kind of more old-fashioned like I prefer a face-to-face interaction on the phone write you a letter snail mail yes <laughs> I like love that kind of stuff it's like more personal to me but I think we are trying we are learning more and more how to make it more of a personal like meet and greet and and mm -hmm. way of connecting and and like yeah podcasts have been amazing these IG lives have been amazing and what you guys are doing I think yeah is we're going to have to learn to navigate it because we're going to need to still connect. We're going to still need mm -hmm. to make those connections. And like you said, um, that was such a great thing about going to film festivals is yeah. Like meeting other producers and writers. And, and it's great that you guys are still finding like a solution for all of that, because I kind of felt like that was going to be lost now, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of, a lot of people gave up and laid down when this thing happened, yeah. but if I can, I hope I don't sound too pompous. So I grew up on a farm. And it took, when I left the farm... <laughs> I love that. I, I, I don't want to sound too pompous. So I grew up in a farm. And you just like <laughs> throw that out there. <laughs> I was always embarrassed that I was a farm kid, you no. see. And it took me a long time to realize the learning I mm -hmm. learned as a kid on the farm. Very valuable. To look for patterns, patterns of nature, patterns of animal behavior. Mm -hmm. So when that pandemic hit for the first week, if I 
can be honest, I was terrified. Then I started looking for patterns. And that's all we are doing. And all you are doing is looking for the patterns. And once you recognize the patterns, how you can use that to your advantage. And there's many advantages to the pandemic. First of all, you and I would have never met had it not been for the pandemic. We certainly wouldn't have had our now second talk where I can talking on Zoom to you right now for your podcast or the Instagram Live. And 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 and, and that's really special. And the fact that you're not living a 20-minute walk away, you're living several thousand miles away <laughs> yeah. in eight time zones away. And we're talking as if we were in the same room. This is a hugely advantageous thing. And now that we are stuck with this way of living right now with the mm. pandemic and so on, uh, the people who use that to an advantage, and of course it's, it's terrible in every way. Let's not, <laughs> let's not say the pandemic is great, whatever, but looking at the pattern of how our lives have changed mm-hmm. and how to use that creatively, I think that's the the challenge and filmmakers are innovators they're also disruptors and using what we've got and not what we want to have which in my mind separates an independent filmmaker from let's say a studio filmmaker with their tens of millions hundreds of millions of dollars you see those guys are all screwed up but a friend of mine here made a a film called host during lockdown he's a traditional filmmaker doing really really well um rob savage is his name and he he made it with seven or eight different actors in different locations but when you look at it you would swear to god they were in a studio but they didn't so when a girl's running down a white wall and there's a monster coming this way it's a horror film Mm -hmm. you think they're at the same place but in fact the guy is one place and she's in another they just both had white walls and knew how to cut it together and uh, you would never never guess that this was made without a studio and of course that film is now opening in cinemas here yeah it's on shutter i think you can see it in the states it's just Uh incredible okay yes i could tell you many stories of people like that yeah and and these films are made for pennies and literally pennies not even tens of thousands you know and and to replicate and of course what will happen like with Blair Witch some 15 20 years ago Mm -hmm. Hollywood will give some smarmy guy a lot of money to remake it and take all of the energy out of it and (laughs) and boil it down into something that is barely recognized mushy Mm -hmm. with with saccharine and it's it's just not the same thing like at that point then absolutely like yeah I this is definitely a time to to be more innovative and and I think I love that thank you for sharing the host story I definitely like I want to see that that sounds you should so you should fun. try and see it. I think you have Shudder yeah, yeah, the yeah. horror Netflix yeah look at, I'm gonna look look at, at host, host and- yeah. real quick what's uh what's some advice would you give um are, are filmmakers out there on um, submitting to a festival like yours? What are just like real quick top advice for them to look out for? Follow the uh, follow the submission guidelines, the rules and regulations. <laughs> right. <laughs> You'd be amazed at how many films come in here without, you know, the director's name on, without a press kit and all that stuff. <laughs> um, my, if you want to get into any film festival, just make a film that is so bold, so fresh, and so original. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. where your idea is something that no one else has thought of yet, but which everyone wants. Mm -hmm. And when you come up with that idea, that script, and you make it, it's not about how much money you spent on it. It's about how that idea translates Mm -hmm. and how the story, uh, how you get the story across. Um, That's my advice. And of course, if you go to filmfreeway.com, they will list festivals by genre. If you've made a horror or documentary or children's film, you can find all those festivals. And then, and then you just you need a bit of a budget because festivals charge submission fees. That's how they pay for the people to look at your work. Um, Just look through it Uh, on the raindance.org website. There are a couple of useful um, articles. One is the top top whatever horror festivals, top documentary, top festivals for shorts, if you've got a short and so on, you can sort of, you know, click around on that and see what you want or just Google. And more importantly, when you are going to go to a festival, Google that festival and see what other filmmakers years gone by, what their opinion is of the festival. There are some festivals with sadly terrible opinions Mm -hmm. and others with really good, uh, you know, trust with filmmakers right you save your money doing that we've mm-hmm. learned yeah <laughs> and, and speak to other filmmakers who i mean that's why rain dance gets such good feedback so to speak is because we've had so many filmmakers over the years who've fortunately had a good time yeah <laughs> <laughs> despite the the, the bed sheet <laughs> who've gone back and told their friends so love that yeah, yeah. Well, to wrap up, let our listeners know um, exactly where they can find all this. So you did mention raindance.org um, is the main website, but as far as yep. social media, all that kind of stuff. Well, it's raindance.org on our website. Our Twitter is surprisingly at raindance. Our Instagram is even more surprisingly at Raindance Film Festival. And I think between those, you will find us just about everywhere. We do do, for your listeners, a weekly free newsletter. You just go to raindance.org. You'll see the button, put in your email, and you'll start getting bombarded <laughs> with official junk mail from, uh, from, from Raindance. Tips, <laughs> ideas, crazy stuff interviews all that <laughs> yeah yeah we get it in our inbox i always look for those emojis <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much elliot for coming on today this was awesome i hope listeners it was inspiring for you guys to just go out and start something you know when you have an idea for a film festival or to put together some sort of like school learning situation whatever like you know you just have to start and be bold. Look what it can grow into yeah and be bold totally i love that <laughs> right Elliot? just do it just yes, just do it. it thanks guys thank have you have a great day absolutely you right. too bye-bye bye, bye. Thank, thank you, you. thank you thanks for listening to fem regard podcast if you like what you hear tune in next time for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals over tea We can only grow with your support, so please subscribe, share, rate, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. If you leave us a great comment, we might give you a shout-out on the show. For more on us, check us out at femregard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.